Hello everyone and welcome to the Cornerstone Bible Church Women's Study in the Psalms. This is episode 6. In this podcast, we'll take a look at a different psalm each week for 8 weeks. I'm Audra and I'm excited to be with you today as we dive into Psalm 20, a royal psalm. Last week's episode was recorded from a beautiful backyard in Northern California with trees and birds and deer. It was so nice that I decided to record from my front porch on this cool October morning. Royal Psalms are concerned with the military activities of the Israelite king. These Royal Psalms are scattered throughout the Psalter and fall under different categories such as laments and thanksgiving. Royal Psalms help to sharpen our focus on the role Israelite kings played in religious life. We can find passages in the Old Testament that describe the role of kings of Israel's kings acting in priestly ways, such as offering sacrifices and leading processions. David and Solomon are known for their roles in establishing the temple in Jerusalem. Psalm 20 is concerned with gaining support from the Lord for the king's military endeavors. In this psalm, the people, or likely the army, speak to the king, ex- expressing their desire for God's help and victory. Psalm 20, for the director of music, a psalm of David. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. This I know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us your word, that it is true and good. Help us to trust in you alone as our help and the one who grants us victory. You alone can deliver and save. Thank you for answering us when we call out to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So let's start at step one, looking at the original meaning. Verse one, may the name of the God of Jacob protect you. What does this mean? Some of us may not be familiar with the Old Testament narratives in the book of Genesis, but Jacob was the son of Isaac, Isaac the son of Abraham, and Abraham is a man who had faith in God. God chose him to be the father of many nations, to make his name great and to bless him. God calls Abraham to go into a new land and make a covenant with him so that all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. Genesis 12 and 15. God later reestablished this covenant with Abraham's son Isaac in Genesis 26 and later again with Isaac's son Jacob in Genesis 28. So what is the name of the God of Jacob? Well, in the second book of the Bible, Exodus, the story continues about 400 years later with Jacob's descendants still living in Egypt and a new king of Egypt who knows nothing about Jacob or his son Joseph. 
He enslaves the people and treats them ruthlessly. In Exodus 3, after Moses is living in exile from Egypt, God meets him through a burning bush and introduces himself saying, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He tells Moses that he has heard the cry of his people in Egypt and will rescue them and tells Moses to go down to Pharaoh. Okay, so stay with me. It seems like we're diving into Genesis and Exodus in the middle of a psalm study, but this will all tie in, I promise. I'll read from Exodus three thirteen through 15. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. So looking back to Psalm 20, when the people or army are seeking protection for their king in the name of the God of Jacob, I read from Gerald Wilson that the name of God is also an extension of God himself, where God chooses to place his name in the land, in the temple, on his people, there God is also. Looking at verse 2, where it says support from Zion, what is Zion? So let's look back to where Zion is first mentioned in the Bible in 2 Samuel 5-7. It says of David, the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, and David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. John Piper says, what begins to make this place so significant is that immediately in 2 Samuel 6:12, David brings the Ark of the Covenant into the stronghold of Zion. The Ark of the Covenant was the sacred seat of the Holy of Holies, where God met his people in the tabernacle. So Zion becomes the center of worship and of God's presence. And when Solomon moves the Ark of the Covenant into the temple that he built in 1 Kings 8, the whole of Jerusalem came to be known as Zion. So most of the time in the Old Testament, Zion refers to the city of Jerusalem, not just as another name, but because it is the city of God's presence and the city of great hope for God's people. In verse 3, Um, where he says, May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. The kings of Israel offered sacrifices. Samuel or Saul offered sacrifices in preparation for a battle in 1 Samuel 18, although he did so without Samuel and out of fear. That's another story. But um, David and Solomon were both involved in offering sacrifices, 2 Samuel uh, 6 and 24 and 1 Kings 3 and 8. As were the kings of Israel and Judah after them. In our psalm, the people want God to remember the king's sacrifice. In verse 4, where it says, May he give you the desire of your heart. This refers to the mutual hopes of king, people, and army for success in battle. In verse 5, the people say, We will shout for joy when you are victorious. Um, They already know they are going to celebrate when the king has victory over the enemy. They are confident that God will make the king's plan succeed. Gerald Wilson notes, the word, the word translated, when you are victorious, is the same word frequently known as salvation or deliverance, Yeshua. 
To proclaim victory is to acknowledge at one and the same time that Yahweh has delivered me. In verse 6, we see a shift of voice from the plural we to a singular I. Some commentators suggest this could be from the point of view of a Levite serving in the temple, giving assurance to the people and the king of the Lord's power to save. It could also be from David's point of view as the psalm is attributed to him. The speaker says, Now I know the Lord saves his anointed. The Hebrew word for saves describes an action that is fixed and complete. The king here is described as God's anointed, as kings were literally anointed with oil when appointed as the Israelite king. In verses 7 and 8, the people respond to the promise of Yahweh's divine help by affirming their trust in him. While other nations or people will put their trust in military weapons of war, the people proclaim their trust in the name of the Lord our God. Those who trust in their own military abilities are brought to their knees and fall. By contrast, those who put their trust in Yahweh rise up and stand firm. And finally, verse 9 is a concluding amen by the people to save the king and answer when we call. Okay, let's move on to step two, which is bridging the times. As we observed in the original meaning, this psalm, as a royal psalm, is concerned with the specific military victory of the king and his people. Yet, as is this psalm is included in God's word, we can observe both the timely and timeless truths and understand there are messages relevant to us today. Beyond observing the historical meaning of the psalm, we can interpret its words to refer to the anointed one as Jesus the Messiah, the Messianic King. After the exile, God's people were looking forward to another ruler, a promised Messiah, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, Isaiah 11. Wilson notes the Messiah would defeat God's enemies decisively and establish God's direct rule over all the earth. In Acts 2, 30-36, we can see that many of the royal psalms were interpreted as references to Jesus. There is a third way to interpret the psalm in drawing an analogy between these ancient kings and present-day leaders. But there are lots of complications with this. As Israel was God's chosen nation, he made his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob was given the name Israel. And that all peoples of the earth would be blessed through their family. And God's promise was fulfilled in the coming of Christ as salvation was offered to all peoples through his death and resurrection. No single nation today can lay claim to the Old Testament people of God. Wilson notes, The primary purpose of the kings of Israel and Judah, a purpose they too often failed to pursue, was to lead the people in the ways of Yahweh. Who can say as much for any national leader today? So before we get too deep in this discussion or start to get political, let's move on to the fourth way of looking at this psalm. It is applying it to members of God's family today. David, God's anointed king, can provide a model for believers today. We discussed this before in week one, where we took his example of observing the night sky as a shepherd and how today we can worship the Lord by observing creation. This psalm provides for us an example of trusting God, of interceding on behalf of people who suffer, and also as a people who suffer in need of intercession. So let's move on to step three, the application. 
Taking a look at the different methods of interpretation can help deepen our own understanding and response to this psalm. I can understand the historical context, see the power of God's loving hand in sending us the messianic king, and our hope in his future victory to conquer in his second coming. I can also personally pray for God's victory in my personal life. About 10 years ago, when I was expecting our second child, there was a mistake with our insurance policy, and I was dropped from the plan. When we found the mistake, I called the insurance company feeling confident that they would see the error and put me back on the policy. Although, as with many phone calls go, it did not go as I expected. When they saw that I was dropped, they could not reinstate my policy because now I have a pre-existing condition. I was pregnant. My jaw hit the floor. I couldn't believe my ears. I hung up the phone in disbelief while thoughts of hospital bills and expensive prenatal doctor visits swam through my mind. I stopped and prayed. I said, Lord, what do we do? And he met me right there in the middle of our kitchen. He reminded me of a verse, Psalm 20, verse 7. Some may trust in chariots, some may trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. My heart was strengthened in that moment. I smiled wide. I knew there was nothing to fear. He assured me of his power and might right there. I can't help but smile when I think about how he met me. I didn't have to trust in insurance policies or the medical system to help me deliver our baby. I simply had to trust in the Lord. And in case you're wondering how it all turned out, well, I ended up researching what sort of programs were available for uninsured expecting mothers. And can you believe it? But I found one that gave us better coverage than my previous policy. And not only that, but because I was covered by this program during labor and delivery, our son Titus was covered at birth as well. He was born with a couple of holes in his heart and our new policy covered his open heart surgery when he was 18 months old. Only God can give a victory like that. In closing, I'd like to read a couple of lines from our song for this week, Trust in You by Lauren Daigle. Truth is, you know what tomorrow brings. There's not a day ahead you have not seen. So in all things be my life and breath. I want you, Lord, and nothing less. Thank you for joining me today for Psalm 20. Next week, we will take a look at Psalm 16, an individual lament. You can find out more information about this study on our church's website, cbcglendora.org, and in the show notes. Feel free to share this podcast with anyone who might be interested. Thank you, friends. We'll see you next week.